It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Outdoor Research makes great looking and high performing gear for all types of adventure. Their apparel is so solid that OR is like that ski partner that always seems to have hot drinks, or the climbing partner that jumps at the chance to lead the scary off with pitch to the summit. If OR gear could talk, it would say just the right thing to make it all better when you start to feel nervous about the next lead, or when you yard sail off a kicker right in front of a pack of snarky groms. So if you want gear that feels like a high five and a fist bump on a badass summit, hit up OutdoorResearch.com or your favorite local shop and feel like you found a new best friend. There's an old saying that if you want something done well, give that job to a climber. Actually, I don't know if that's really a thing people say, but it certainly could be. When I go to the crags, I'm often surrounded by really smart, talented, successful people. That's no accident. Climbing undergirds so many values around perseverance, risk, and respect for the environment and each other. Perhaps the reason climbers are often so good at what they do, beyond the climbing part, is that climbing informs an ethical approach to living, the way we act, the good work we do, the lives we choose to lead beyond the rocks. For example, just imagine if our government was filled not with craven, magical-thinking sycophants and bad-faith toads, but with people who are more like Tommy Caldwell. Clearly, that would be better. Climate change, the battle for public lands, a clean environment, the basic right to health care and education, the fights for justice for all and democracy itself, these issues are the dawn walls of our time, not only in the sense that they're formidable challenges, but that they're challenges that we can overcome. It might take years, and by the time it actually happens, we're so bored to shit that we call it the yawn wall. Never mind. The point is, it can be done. This is Andrew Bisharat, and I'm here with Chris Kalous, and you're listening to the Runout Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Trish Zornio, a scientist and rock climber who's running for the U.S. Senate. Trish is trying to become Colorado's first woman elected to the Senate, and to do that, she's hoping to unseat Cory Gardner, who has been living under a rock for the past four years. It's certainly my opinion that we need someone who is better equipped to fight these Donwall-sized issues, who's not going to hide under rocks, but who's going to climb them. All the better if she brings a smart scientific approach and shows how a younger female perspective can lead. Okay, trigger warning. This episode acknowledges the existence of politics and its crossover into our otherwise blissfully apolitical climbing space. But Chris and I are both progressive people who like talking about this stuff. And to be honest, at this point, to not discuss some of these important issues is in itself a political decision. These are things that we not only should be talking about, but it would be irresponsible not to. And full disclosure, as you'll likely discern from our friendly fire, Chris and I are also supporters of Trisha's campaign. Hope you enjoy our conversation today. The big call to action for our Colorado listeners is to know that there's a caucus on March 7th, a Saturday. Let's hope it's a stormy Saturday so you don't feel too bad about hitting the gym in the morning and making it out to your local caucus location to get involved in democracy in the afternoon. Figuring out exactly where your caucus is being held, however, is a complete nightmare. Trust me when I say that you'd have an easier time finding that super secret locals crag than you will in figuring out where your caucus is. Part of the confusion is that we in Colorado voted to get rid of caucuses, 
but apparently we only did that for presidential primaries. In other words, candidates for every office except president are still being relegated to abiding by the old caucus system. ColoradoDems.org is a good place to start, but you can also email Trisha's campaign at caucus at zornio2020.com and they will help you find your location. Since you guys are all climbers, I know you'll be able to do a good job in figuring this out. Okay, without any more ado, here's our conversation with Trish Zornio. All right, so we are here committing a taboo of climbing in which we are going to be speaking about politics um, oh dear god in our, in our climbing media which um rankles some people for some reason <laughs> um but we're here with trisha zornio who is a candidate running for the u.s senate running to unseat cory gardner here in colorado um so thanks for joining us trish thanks so much for having me um, Trish is a climber, um, among many other impressive things on her resume. But I, I, before we get into this, we have this uh, history on this show of sort of, you know, speaking um, obliquely about our, our forays into midlife crises, uh, Chris and I. And, and one thing that came to mind for me was that in the next five weeks, our, our respective children are going to turn four years old. So Aww. my daughter and Chris's son were are both four years old um, this spring. And when they were born, that was, of course, the within the first months of the Trump administration's presidency. And I, I just had this sense of, oh, my goodness, this little baby in front of me is going to be four by the time we potentially get this guy out of office. And it seemed like such a long time. But here we are in, in 2020. And uh, I have to say that over the last four years, not a day has gone by that I haven't been you know, experienced a range of emotions from, you know, just uh, depression to uh, anger to all the usual things about what is happening in this country. Um, so this is our, this is our, our, our politics issue, our politics episode. And, um, and we're, we're happy to have a climber who's um, a hopeful politician here to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, well, and actually, it's for you know, young women to be like your daughter that, you know, I got into this in, in large part because there's so many values that we share as Americans and as climbers. And, uh, you know, we really want to make sure that they were leaving a better place for them, not, you know, that next generation, not leaving a worse place, which is what I fear we might be doing right now. So I'm really excited to be here and, and you know, talk about some climbing and talk about why climbers do really uh, need to be activists in protecting our public spaces for the next generations. Yeah, and since we're in Colorado and you're running for a Colorado seat, you know, this may not feel super universal to all of our worldwide listeners, but but I think it it really is and and I'd like to talk about the issues, you know, that go across uh the state lines into into, you know, what we're facing as climbers and what might be politically uh astute in terms of of climbing. Yeah, and I think you know, it's really important to remember that, you know, even as a climber myself, yes, I live here in Colorado, but I certainly don't only climb in, in Colorado, right? Uh, it's certainly one of the, the many favorite places. I actually live 15 minutes from El Dorado Canyon. And as a trad climber myself, you know, that's that's a wonderful opportunity to be able to, to have that so close and running up the laps of the flat irons, you know, like that's the kind of stuff I love to do. And I love Colorado climbing. Uh, but I also love climbing in, in Utah and in Yosemite and all these other places. And, and actually, I was in Bears Ears when the Trump 
administration acknowledged that they were looking to downsize that and sell it off for private uh, oil and gas development and mining. And so, like, you know, these are the sorts of things that it does matter, actually, to not only Coloradans, not only Americans, but actually to anyone in the world who wants to come and experience these public lands and be able to climb uh, and access them. Is one of the planks in your platform uh, for Colorado is annexing um, southeast Utah, including Indian Creek, to uh, <laughs> to bring it into the Colorado fold? Because you've got my vote instantly if, yeah. that's, if that's in there. Yeah, you know, we're really focused more on, on protecting things. I, I love the laughter coming okay. in from Chris here, too. This is really great. Um, you know, we're really much more interested in protecting lands, not necessarily redrawing, you know, these okay. lines. Okay, all, all right. I just don't think they deserve it, but that's a, that's an issue for another another podcast. Yeah, well, you know, how it's what it's like five and a half hours or so uh, drive from my house here yeah. in, in Colorado. And, you know, I definitely go frequently, although I will say I'm going less frequently now that I'm doing these. Uh, massive statewide tours for this this race. But, you know, I think it's something that so many of us just, this is where we spend our weekends, whether it's Shelf Road or, or out in Moab area or, or wherever, that I can feel the sense of ownership with you on that. Okay. Why don't you give us your background as a climber? How did you get into the sport? And, and um, yeah. yeah, tell us about that. Well, you know, so I started climbing uh, in, in sort of a unique way, I think. I grew up actually originally in northern New Hampshire, and, oh, whereabouts? Yeah, so do you, do you know Mount Washington? I do. I, I used to live in Jackson, actually, after oh. I graduated from college. I lived up in northern New Hampshire and spent a very cold and miserable winter there. <laughs> yeah, well, that cold and miserable winter is how I grew up. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, my, my father, when I go home sometimes, you know, the last time I went home, he said, oh, it's a little colder than usual. The the thermometer looks like it's going to get down to almost negative 40. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. Um, so anyway, so, you know, I grew up in this this pretty rugged region. And I'm actually first generation here. And so my, my um, father came over on the boat when he was a, a young boy with my grandparents. And they weren't you know, necessarily introduced to the outdoors in, in these kinds of ways at the time. And so I grew up in this phenomenally rich area for outdoor activities. But our activities actually growing up were, were really quite simple. So we grew up in the woods and we would snowshoe and we would cross-country ski and hike and, you know, do things that were, um, you know, pretty mellow and, and easily accessible, I would say, for families. Uh, in that region at that time that didn't cost a lot of money. And it's kind of ironic to me now because I now realize that I grew up in a very climbing dense region, but I just didn't even know it. Uh, and so when I went to college, I then uh, ended up in the summers taking a job at the Appalachian Mountain Club as a wilderness guide uh, for one of the, the kids programs. And so we would do these trips for anywhere from uh, you know, minimum like three or five days all the way to a few weeks at a time. And we would take these kids out on anything from sea kayaking to uh, backpacking trips, uh, any number of things. And one of them was rock climbing. And so I would get paired with someone and I happened to be paired with this fellow. His name was Steve. He's a friend of mine now, but he actually was a phenomenal rock climber. And so he requested all the rock climbing trips. And I said, I don't climb. What do you, what is this? <laughs> you know, I was like 20 at the time. And, uh, and it's so funny because he said, Oh, it, it doesn't matter. You have to actually be certified as a, as an AMGA guide. And so we just get to go along. And I actually ended up learning how to climb through my job at the Appalachian mountain club because of that. And so I got to tour New England and work with all these amazing guides at the local IME shop and some other places and uh, just made the most amazing friends and experiences. And my very first climb was out in Acadia National Park off of the Otter Cliffs. And then we were able to do a bunch of stuff up at Cathedral and Whitehorse and just so many places. And, and it was, I mean, what an amazing opportunity to be able to learn in that kind of capacity. 
Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the, you know, just hearing that you're from Northern New Hampshire, I, I, um, I instantly know what type of person you are in terms of just being <laughs> able to survive harsh conditions, which I'm sure is coming in handy in your, uh, in your political career as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, we actually, it's so funny. I, I still remember this is the kind of thing that sticks with you, right? With the weather out there. Cause of course Mount Washington has the record for the, the home of the world's worst weather. And they have a wind speed record on land that to the best of my knowledge has still not been beat. And I can't remember exactly, but I think it's something like 236 miles per hour or something like that. Yeah. So we still remember, you know, growing up as the kid, you know, the ice storm in 98 and we lived off grid for, for days in that storm. And just, you know, we got completely cut off and, you know, you get your water by cracking the ice on the nearby brook and you haul it up, you know, a little bit to your, the hill to your house and just all sorts of things that from a survival standpoint, I think people who live in these kind of rural mountain regions really appreciate. So you alluded to the fact that you're a trad climber. Is that strictly what you do? Or do you like sport climbing, bouldering? Do you go to I, the gyms? What's your yeah, interest? Well, you know, I, I definitely really enjoy the trad climbing and usually multi-pitch trad climbing most, but uh, I certainly do go to the gym. I'm, I'm at the movement gyms usually, uh, most typically in Boulder. And then now that I work in Denver, I'm sometimes down at that gym. I tend not to do much bouldering, although I'm told that if I really want to increase my game, then that would be the way to do it. Um, but I tend to do just a little bit of sport climbing outside, not a, not a ton, usually down at like shelf road or something like that. Um, but I usually go toward the trad more. So one of the big parts of, I, I think you're, promotion in terms of your political career has been the fact that you're a scientist. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of scientist you are and um, how you think that plays in to uh, your candidacy and why it's important? Yeah. You know, I actually got started in this because I was sitting uh, five or six years ago now in DC through the work that I was doing. And I was uh, actually sitting in on the side on these uh, US Senate Science Committee hearings. And it was the first time that I realized that there were zero scientists on the highest level federal science committee. And that seemed, <laughs> I know, it, it's laughable. And, and, and the problem is that, you know, these are not appointed positions. So even under Obama, for example, uh, or past presidents, this was actually the case as well. So these are elected positions only. We have 100 U.S. senators, they, you know, two from each state, and we need them to be elected to office. And unfortunately, as voters, we don't typically zoom out and look at the body at large and say, well, what kind of professional expertise do we need? We say, well, who's the candidate running in my state that I like? Right. And those are you know, two very different ways to fill positions. And unfortunately, what it means is that uh, through a, a number of issues in, you know, sort of campaign finance and other types of laws that have, have led to how we are where we are, but it really means that we're not picking the right uh, professional expertise. And so through this work, I was sitting there and I, I noticed it because uh, Cory Gardner was actually now sitting on these U.S. Senate science committees because uh, he has been selected to serve on that committee. And of course, he's a, he's a lawyer and has absolutely no expertise that would qualify him for any sort of committee like that. But but moreover, he actually uh, doesn't even acknowledge most scientific processes. Like, I mean, he doesn't even acknowledge man-made climate change. Uh, and so, you know, I was just floored that not only were all of these senators not scientists, but my senator was not a scientist. And sitting on these, these committees dictating what is going to happen in the 21st century in science and technology impact every area of our life now, even in climbing. I mean, if you look at the, the trad gear I have, that's actually all based on uh, material science and, and the research and development that goes into that kind of that kind of stuff. So, and engineering. 
Uh, and so anyway, so I, I got into this idea of, you know, how can I make better bridges between the legislators that are making policy and those who actually have the expertise to help design and craft effective policy? Because otherwise you create really shallow policy, uh, which is just partisan based. And that's, that's just not effective. And, and we've gone back and forth in that space for far too long. And here we are. And so I got into this because, uh, you know, through the science that I do, I also work uh, at the hospital and I teach at the university currently. And so I, my background is largely in neuroscience and I tend to work in uh, departments at the hospital like pediatric neurology. And I'm usually trying to uh, work with teams to either identify a disease, uh, identify a treatment, improve a treatment, and usually working uh, through those combinations to improve the molecular basis and outcomes uh, that we might have available and understand what's going on in the bio, biological spaces. And when you look at how the things that we are doing in that space impact in terms of legislating, there's a lot of overlap. And so, for example, as we move toward providing uh, more accessible healthcare, how are we going to talk about the fact that you know genetic data privacy is going to be relevant? And how are we going to talk about making sure that uh, we address many larger issues that are outside of that in terms of data privacy? And then, you know, zooming out a bit, climate change is the defining scientific challenge of our time. And I happen to have, you know, in my my spare in my personal time, done a lot of work in climate. And so, you know, working with scientists on that end for a long time has been part of our platform as well. And so, you know, there's just this huge need for scientists and especially in healthcare uh, as well in these science committees. And, and that's how I got into this. I wanted to make sure we had the right professional expertise. I mean, for as long as I can remember, the the model politicians has some kind of, if not a, a forefront of their personality, at least um, a part of it to to tout their allegiance to, uh, you know, the Christian religion, you know, which is often uh, set at odds with science. And so you don't necessarily think of politicians as being scientific people, in fact, quite the opposite. And so why do you think that this is changing or, or is this changing? You know, I, I don't know too many people who are coming to politics without bringing their religious pedigree and so I guess one question is one, are you yeah. religious? And, and I guess what, you, what I would love to hear your thoughts about, yeah. about that. You know, I think that's a phenomenal question. And I'm actually floored to say this is the first time I have actually been asked that on any interview, which I find surprising <laughs> um, and wonderful that, that this is a question coming up. And, and I think you're exactly right. We actually really don't see people coming from the science side. I do know people who are are in science who are religious. I personally am not religious. Um, I did grow up in a religious household. Uh, so I grew up, you know, look, I'm Italian and my family immigrated from Italy. They are extremely Catholic. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I certainly grew up in that space. I was an altar server and all sorts of, um, you know, the roles in the church and such. But, uh, you know, as an adult, it's not something that I have, ch I have chosen to participate in. I, I've, found my community in other ways. And I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of things I appreciate about that community, that space that you can have from religion. And I think, uh, that's, a, that's a really good thing. I think there are also a lot of things that, you know, for me, I don't identify with. And so for me, my values come, come from, you know, in part what I've learned through community spaces. And I think that would be a really wonderful addition in making policy to be looking at this more from a, a factual standpoint and an evidence-driven standpoint, but more so, you know, really talking about why that approach makes things better for people. 
right? Because at the end of the day, politics is personal. Here we are on this, you know, climbing podcast. And I think there, there could be some people saying, well, why I'm a climber, you know, I want to talk about, you know, which 511 we've done lately or, you know, whatever. And I think, um, my, my plea to the climbing community would be to remind everyone that the things that we do as climbers, in, especially in the outdoor space, we're only able to do because of public policy. And so if these are the sorts of things that you want to maintain and keep and, and be passionate about in your personal life, uh, we can't take that for granted. And so, you know, with that, that personal space of politics, being able to apply a fact and evidence driven approach and actually achieve the things that you want to do in a robust fashion, that would be a phenomenal change in the way that we go about policymaking. It's just never really happened. So if we were going to continue uh, the segue in, back into climbing a little bit, what do you think is your plea for climbers not only to pay attention, listen, vote, get involved? What do you think the main issues are facing us as climbers that, that need to be addressed in our political outlook? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I hear the most from friends in, in my climbing circles, at least, you know, I certainly wouldn't speak for every climber, but I, I think what I hear a lot is, you know, one of the things that we, at least for me, I go into climbing in part to escape a little bit. I want to just completely dive into the movement of it. It's, it, you know, I always think of it as kind of like dancing on the wall. And, and that kind of thing for me is just really nice to be able to release and let go. And I think sometimes from that climbing space, we then forget that the only reason we're able to do that again is that, you know, we've been able to have public policy that has backed up our ability to go out into these wild spaces and have them preserved uh, in, in order to be able to access them. And so I think, you know, it's so easy to just get lost in, in wanting to get lost that we have to actually take the active effort to remind ourselves while we're even out there. This space that I am in, wherever it is, you know, if you're in Rocky Mountain National Park or you're in El Dorado Canyon or, or wherever, that space is there because of lawmakers. And that can be taken away at any time. And so we are seeing, in fact, right now, that active rollback more than at uh, almost any other time in, in history. And in fact, um, there's, there's a study that had come out in the journal Science that the Trump administration is actually responsible for the largest reduction of protected public lands in American history. And when you think about what that means, you know, I was literally in Bears Ears National Monument when that announcement was made. Uh, and so we're having huge reductions in the monuments out in Utah. Uh, they've opened up the uh, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil and gas development. You know, these are the sorts of things we're seeing these rollbacks happen in real time. It's only been a few years and we can't afford a few years more of that. And here in Colorado, we have a senator, the, the person that I'm hoping to replace, Cory Gardner, who is actively endorsing Trump and and not working on these efforts to stop them from happening. And especially here in Colorado, we have so many people who care deeply, not even just climbers. We are a state that values our public lands and our, our recreational opportunities. And, and we have a senator right now who is not working to protect those. And I really want to take a moment and applaud a few of the climate activists, uh, well, land activists, I should say, here 
that are in our climbing community. So uh, Sasha DeJulian, uh, Tommy Caldwell, and Alex Honnold especially have been making huge efforts and actually going to Washington to help lobby uh, for some of these things that we care about as climbers. And if that is any indication of where we need to be, and I know others who are active as well, Lynn Hill, et cetera, you know, these are the sorts of things that we can start making sure that, you know, if our figures are getting involved, we as a climbing community need to, to heed that warning. There's a reason that they are getting involved and, and they're stepping up for good reasons. And so I hope that climbers will take a look at that, see some of our own community stepping up and be willing to take the time that's effort and effort that's needed to do it. And I will be clear, there is time and effort that's needed, right? So you actually do need to engage in a way. Uh, so for example, for me to get on the ballot, we have to pass what's called a caucus. And a lot of people aren't familiar with this process, especially if you're new to Colorado, but a caucus is something where it determines who makes it on the ballot. And you have to actually go in person. Ours is on March 7th at 2 p.m. And it's a little difficult because you have to look up your precinct number and you have to find your location. Uh, and there's simple ways to do that. You know, so we have GoVoteColorado.com and that can tell you your precinct number uh, and your voter registration. And then you have to take that precinct number and go to the Colorado Dems website and be able to actually look up your location. And so, you know, these are the kinds of barriers. And then you have to actually go on a Saturday at 2 p.m. and take a few hours away from a possible outdoor day. And I know the challenge there, <laughs> you, you know, and that's, that's the kind of thing that we're asking people to do is, you know, instead of going to Shelf Road for the weekend that week, we, we need you to go to caucus at your local precinct, wherever that is in Colorado. So these are the kinds of challenges, but I hope that we look at people like Sasha DeJulian and Tommy Caldwell and Alex Honnold, and we say, if they think this is important as leaders of our community, then we should too. To your point that so much of what we're, of these um, rules, is particular, particularly around Bears Ears, uh, and the, it's all just, you know, stuff that we put down on paper, and there's decrees and laws and all of this stuff, and but it still just comes down to the to the people who are in government who choose to abide by it on the best faith terms that and and the way it was meant to be followed and um one of the, my biggest concerns with the past 4 years is how Trump and particularly Mitch McConnell have how much damage they've done to the ability for government to just run as it was meant to run and for norms to be followed and so forth and so I think that if we're going to get to a functioning place where we can have a president declare someplace like Bears Ears to be a monument and then not worry about that being taken away, mm -hmm. we need to get back to a place where there is some respect between, you know, different political parties. There's a lot less bad faith. So, you know, as you're traveling around the state of Colorado to, you know, liberal strongholds and, you know, around Denver to conservative areas in the East and West where we live. I guess, what is your approach to trying to make inroads with people who don't agree with you? Yeah. You know, this is such an interesting thing because right now and, and working off of that in the public land space, especially, this is really the first time that we're seeing this level of divide in Washington. And I want to be clear that that's in Washington politics, not here in Colorado. In Colorado, whether you are, you know, right or left or somewhere in between or even off that spectrum entirely, most people here in Colorado that we meet completely agree. 
that we need to be working to protect public lands because this is something that we share as a value. This is our home, you know, this, this is literally our backyard. And so this is the first time that in Washington politics, though, we are seeing a massive divide in terms of political parties and whether or not they're supporting public lands or whether or not they are rolling back public lands. And that's a problem from a lot of reasons, but it, but it really speaks to what you're saying. It, you know, is that really representing people and where they are? And what we're finding is the answer is no. And that makes a really big difference because if you can go out in Colorado and share with people that you identify with them, regardless of where they are on that spectrum, when it comes to something like public lands, that is the kind of sentiment that we can then work to take change and put someone in office you know, instead of someone like Cory Gardner right now, who does not share those values and is actively rolling back public land protections, we can actually elect somebody who will support public land protections. And that is something that resonates across party lines from what we are seeing. Because as Coloradans, we know that our public spaces actually contribute immensely to our economy, not just our enjoyment, but to our economy. We have a lot of tourism, a lot of recreation, and, and honestly, it makes us happier and healthier. This is why we come here, right? We have this beautiful landscape and we want to protect that. So, you know, we're just really more interested in connecting with Coloradans where they are, sharing these, these visions and goals, and making sure that we actually have someone in the seat who will represent them. And it's happening, the split is happening in Washington politics much more so than it is happening here in yeah. Colorado. Why do you think our generation has been so slow to come to political power? Ooh, you know, well, I think some of it is that, uh, you know, so the average age in 2018, before the election uh, year that happened, the average age in the U.S. Senate was actually the retirement age. And in fact, there were five senators in their 80s and still are. You know, and so we dropped in 2018, that dropped down a little bit. And I think it's a wonderful thing to be clear. I think it's actually a wonderful thing to have some people who have, you know, longer institutional knowledge and, and all of that kind of thing. But I think you also need to have that younger representation as well. And in fact, right now there isn't a single person under the age of 40, which means that the entire uh, millennial and ultimately Gen Z, of course, they're not old enough to run for that seat yet, but the entire millennial block, which absolutely is old enough uh, to be included, has zero representation. And this is more important perhaps now than in, in past times, because of course, with that science and technology component, we've had acceleration of key technologies that have advanced very quickly in recent decades. I mean, heck, when I was in high school, you know, I'm, I'm 34, I'll be 35 shortly. You know, when I was in high school, we didn't I mean, granted, we were off grid in a lot of ways, but, you know, we didn't really have access, ready access to the internet until my later high school years. And it was, you know, that, that dial up that would take forever. And right. And we would have these sorts of things. And we had one computer. I still took typing classes in high school. You, you know, there's been a massive change, even just in the last 15, 20 years that I have come up through the workforce. And I think when you look at that experience as a generation, couple it with the fact that, you know, I was in high school when September 11th happened. So, you know, it was all my friends that went to go fight these wars. Uh, couple that with graduating from college and entering a workforce at the height of a recession and all of these sorts of things coupled on top of it with the science and technology, our generation is getting left out and we are not being 
spoken to by most of the people that are currently in office because they're holding on to these positions for so long and not building the bench behind them and welcoming us to the table. And this is actually for me, you know, another component of this is that, you know, I want to make sure our generation has representation because otherwise it's going to be very difficult to engage uh, and, and engage others when we feel like our voices don't matter because that's, I've certainly felt that in recent years, you know, I, I don't feel wholly represented by, by my Senator at the moment. That's why I'm trying to, to replace him. Right. And so I, I hear that immensely. And I think if people can maybe not stay in office for 40, 50 years <laughs> uh, and be willing instead to build the bench, we might actually be in a better place. Back to sort of a personal question. I was going to color this question by asking you why you ruined your life by getting into politics, <laughs> but um, I won't, I'll change it a little bit, you know, and, and I've seen your posts, you know, even recently about the sort of trolling and even, I think, dangerous threats that you can get once you get into the political realm. Yeah. But um, let's switch the question over to what what do you enjoy? What have you found to be enjoyable about this process that you've embarked upon that most people would, you know, run screaming the other direction from? Oh my goodness. There's, there's so much that I do enjoy actually. Um, you know, and you're, you're certainly spot on. There have been a number of challenges, even just in the last 24 hours, you know, having to, having to deal with people who are, you know, either making threats or, you know, kind of tracking and, fo and following and, and, you know, stalking in, in many senses of the word. I, and, you know, these sorts of things are very challenging, but there are so many wonderful things that happen. And one of the things I think that I value the most is that, so I, I uh, have been able to do not just one, but two 64 county tours. So if you think about, there are 64 counties here in Colorado. How many do you think you've been to? Uh, I don't know, like seven. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, like not, the... not, not true. In terms of the mountains, most of them. If I go east, yeah, uh, just the ones that I-70 passes through. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, you know, I've had a chance to not only once, but twice, and we're, we're already a third of the way through our third one go to every single county in this state and not just go to the counties and get to see them, but actually meet people there. I can now, I now have friends and people I can reach out to and acquaintances that I can have a wonderful coffee chat with or go hike a mountain anywhere in Colorado. And that kind of thing is phenomenal. And being able to build bridges across the state, you know, so that when I go out, uh, you know, on the Western slope, and I'm meeting with people out there, I can tell them what's going on in the front range. And here in the front range, I can tell them why this watershed issue is so important, you know, up, up in, in our region and why it connects us up to steamboat or, or whatever, you know, and, and these are the sorts of connections that are personally driven. We're trying to do this from a people to people route and, and build a coalition that can last not just for this race, but build a coalition across Colorado that can sustain us moving forward for many, many years and hopefully generations to come, right? You know, that kind of ability to create those networks and, and meet people where they are and see so many places in Colorado, that has been a phenomenal opportunity. And, and I'm just very humbled to be able to, to have had it. All right. So I, we should start wrapping this up. And, um, you know, of course, uh, March 7th is the caucus date for Colorado residents. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, Trish, you've got a quite a crowded field that you're competing against. Um, I think Hickenlooper is, is kind of the considered the de facto forerunner front runner, um, for this 
spot in the Senate. So what's your t- what's can, your pitch? Can talk, for, yeah, can we talk your, about this for one second, sure. actually? Because this is a really notable discussion. Here we are talking about public lands and climbing and all of these kinds of things. And this is a really good example of this isn't just about political parties, because there are people in my own party, him being one of them, uh, who is not going to be our ally, especially when it comes to environment and public lands. And I will, I will vote to get Gardner out of office at the end of the day, right? <laughs> and I, I think, you know, a lot of us are on that page. But we have a choice in this primary to get someone who will actually fight for environment and public lands, or we can have someone who will do the same status quo, even though it's a different letter after their name. And I say this because right now there is uh, an active mine that is being proposed right outside of Glenwood Springs. I don't know if you've been following uh, in the news, oh, yeah. perhaps, but this is a very controversial thing. Uh, and in fact, from a public health standpoint, there's a lot of concern from a tourism and economic standpoint. This is very concerning. Uh, the local residents, by and large, do not want this to happen. Uh, and the very people who are lobbying down in Washington to take away this BLM land and repurpose it for mining here in Colorado, right outside of Glenwood Springs, uh, same people who are doing that, ties are there that are supporting that former governor in this primary. So he refuses to speak out against it because he is tied financially to these sorts of things. Uh, And it's so much more than that. It's everything from air quality all the way down to public health as related to proximity of fracking and et cetera. So this is a chance for Coloradans to not just get someone who isn't Cory Gardner, but get someone who is actually going to make the protections that we need for public health and economic spaces across Colorado and keep those public lands uh, safe and protected. Because right now, those are a threat, not just based on if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, This is actually crossing party lines because of the finance uh, components of campaigns. So I would really encourage people to come out on March 7th, therefore, and support me (laughs) instead, because I will absolutely advocate uh, for those public lands and, and environment. You know, really, we're starting to see this this trend where climbers are starting to realize that we do need to engage. And I think the best example of this, so I go to the uh, to Real Rock every year and the Banff Film Fest every year, done it uh, ever since I've come to Colorado, well over a decade ago. One of the films, I don't know if you remember, what was the name of it? It was something like United States of Joe, I think. Mm. I I don't know if you saw it. It was one of the climbing films. I think it was at Real Rock. Um, But it was actually, it was about the bouldering community and how they were able to take this small town that had been struggling and try to make some efforts through uh, identifying the economic potential of this climbing community and how they had to work with the locals who thought they were originally insane, basically, um, for climbing these weird rocks, uh, you know, and how they worked to better bridge uh, those kinds of community spaces and and work to partner instead. And I think, you know, the fact that that kind of film is even getting into these climbing spaces, I think that speaks volumes as to where we're headed as a community. And I happen to hopefully be at the forefront, you know, uh, trying to, trying to make that fight. And I appreciate people like yourselves as well, who are willing to go out on a limb and take your climbing podcast and, you know, do a little bit of a political episode because I think this is what it's going to take for us to realize that we do have something to offer as climbers. And if you think about the access fund, they absolutely go to the Hill uh, out in DC and are trying to constantly, you know, advocate for, for what we need. The American Alpine club does the same, the Sierra club, et cetera. So, you know, we are in good company and we just need climbers to step up and meet us. Trish Zornio is running for Senate here in Colorado. If you are in Colorado, Please get out there and caucus on March 7th. Look for her name on the ballot. And if you are in another state, 
and looking into into the political climate there. Look for climbers running for office, whether it's state office or federal office or whatever. Um, let's get more climbers uh, onto uh, into into federal politics. Trish is also a scientist, which is great, and foremost in my mind, she's also a real climber. So thank you so much, Trish, for coming on the show, and uh, look forward to having you represent us in Colorado. Thank you so much for having me. And anyone can go to Zornio2020.com to learn more. If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast. Or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com.